All right, good morning, everybody. Let's get started. I'm really excited to be preaching this morning. I'm excited to feel good. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family. Um, definitely on the mend. Jamie is as well. And uh, I'm really itching to get back out there and do the Lord's work. So I don't know if it'll be, it won't be Monday, maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, but it's hard to sit at home with this fall weather. This is nice weather for walking, preaching, maybe camping, cooking on the side of the road, things you won't be able to do in the wintertime. So pray for us that we could get back out there. But uh, I'm honored to, to preach with you this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. There's one thing that amazes me about people in the churches. A lot of people in the churches like to camp out in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to Jews about the kingdom, the coming kingdom. A lot of people talk about the red letters as if the words of Christ in red as He spoke when He walked the dusty roads of Galilee are somehow more authoritative than the rest of Scripture when the Bible tells us that all Scriptures God breathed, given by inspiration of God. And so you got a lot of Christians that pay no attention to Paul the Apostle. They pay no attention to James or John or the Old Testament prophets. And they talk about the red letters, the red letter Christians. These are the types that are easily fooled by the spirit of the age. I came across, across a quote yesterday by a newspaper man. Now believe it or not, there was actually a time in American history when every single journalist, every single media personality wasn't a vile, depraved devil from the pit of hell. Did you know that? There was actually a time in American history when there were people who wrote news articles and were media personalities and they had a sense of morality. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but it was. There was a prominent newspaper man from New York of all places, the New York Tribune, who was a well-known personality. In fact, he was one of the founders of the Republican Party. And they see, say he was most responsible perhaps, for getting Abraham Lincoln onto the Republican ticket for the election of 1860. His name was Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley had a lot of things to say, but one thing he said that caught my attention yesterday, I stumbled upon it, perhaps because it's so relevant for us living today. And it tells us precisely where the problem is in this country. It's not Joe Biden. It's not the Democrats. It's not Fauci the fool. It's not the CDC. That's not the problem. That's not anymore the problem. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe the tyrants were a problem a year ago, but they're not the problem now. These were his words. It is impossible to mentally or socially enslave a Bible-reading people. It is impossible to mentally or socially enslave a Bible-reading people. My friends, we're mentally and socially enslaved in this country 
There's no doubt about that. But what's the problem? Is it Joe Biden? He's just an old fool. He's not even a real dictator. He's a toy dictator because he doesn't have the power to make us do the things he says. Good luck, Mr. Fake President, making me stay home. Good luck telling me I can't cross state lines because I don't have a vaccine. I'm walking across this country and you'll have to kill me to stop me. I'll take a bullet between the eyes before I'll bow to this tyranny. But we are a social and mentally enslaved people because of him? No. Who's the problem? We're the problem. Because we are not a Bible reading people. We weren't a Bible reading people in, on 9-11. Oh, we came to the churches and we cried out to God for a couple weeks and came together. But we weren't a Bible reading people then. That's why we fell for the lies then. That's why we believed George W. Bush when he said he prayed a prayer and asked Jesus in his heart. And that same devil yesterday said, you and I have the same foul spirit as those terrorists. That's what he said in the bully pulpit yesterday. That's what that liar said. But we believed him in 9-11 because we're not a Bible reading people. We've been enslaved for a long time, my friend. We are the church at Thyatira. We are the rest at Thyatira that God can't put any other burden on us because we can't handle it. That's why we better hold fast what we have till he comes. You can't enslave a Bible reading people. Therefore, what's the solution? We know the problem, but what's the solution? This is the solution. We need to make sure we're reading this book. We need to make sure we're reading it. We need to make sure we're believing it. And we need to make sure we're preaching it, even those parts they can't stand. You know, I watched a movie last night with my daughter. And when you're a Bible reading person, you can see everything that's wrong with it. Lots were wrong with it. It was a movie that came out not too long ago about the Exodus called Gods and Kings. Anybody in here see that? A lot of people talk good about it. But if you read your Bible, you'd have some serious problems with it. Number one, God appears to Moses as a little brat child, believe it or not. And the whole time, God and Moses are arguing with each other. Absolutely ridiculous. Fantasy foolishness. But even in all that, I did appreciate the way the plagues were portrayed. Egypt had its magicians up there just like our CDC fools trying to explain to Pharaoh why it was turning red and this happens and the crocodiles killed these fish and their blood turned it red and this algae and then therefore, you know, we had frogs trying to escape the river and they died and so the lice came. All of the same foolishness. And it did actually present plagues that were supernatural. It didn't. It showed Israel crossing the Red Sea. They had to step in the knee-deep water and walk in that for a while. And then it was dry. The Bible says they walked on dry ground, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. So foolishness left and right. But I did appreciate how the plagues were portrayed as supernatural events from God. They were out of order. They couldn't even get the order right. I mean, these people that write these Bible movies probably never read the Exodus account. But I appreciated... In, in, in a visual way, some of the scenes of the plagues. 
And then it got me thinking about how God delivered Israel, a bunch of slaves, from the tyranny of the first great, great world empire after the flood. Egypt was a formidable foe. Dominated the ancient world. Easily disposed of her enemies. Wealthy and powerful. Pharaoh executed absolute control. He was worshipped as a god. God delivered probably 2.5 million people when you count, count the women and children by the hand of Moses. And they never had to lift a finger to fight. In fact, when they left, the Egyptians wanted them gone so bad that they spoiled the Egyptians. And the Egyptians heaped upon them treasure. Please, please go. When they were caught between the mountains and the Red Sea. Of course, the movie never showed the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. God putting a wall between them and the Egyptians. Of course not. Of course not. But Moses, they started complaining and murmuring. That murmuring started, just like it does with us after God delivers. And Moses said, stand still. God's going to fight for you. And then we're told by the writers of Hebrews, by faith they pass through the Red Sea as upon dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. Folks, that's fascinating. When you think about these blowhards threatening us and our government today, that old fool, George. You know, it really is interesting to look back on 9-11 20 years ago and to see how what, someone who used to be a hero to some of us, I'm ashamed that I voted for George W. Bush twice. That man is a fool. <clears throat> they said he had a low IQ. I believe it just by listening to him yesterday. But it's amazing how our perspective changes when we see things in light of what happens later, when we see its fruit. Jesus said to judge the fruit. We don't do that because we don't read the Bible. But when we think about how God delivered Israel from Egypt and what He did to mock their gods, make no mistake, the plagues weren't random choices of judgment. They were specifically directed at the gods of Egypt who were worshipped in these images. And those gods were powerless to stop the Lord. I did like how the last plague of the firstborn was portrayed. The angel of death that showed as a shadow passing over the city. And it showed firstborn children in their bed breathing. And when the shadow passed, the breathing just stopped. There was no flailing around, screaming. The breathing just stopped. God snapped their life. But He didn't do it to His people Israel. Because they put the blood on the doorpost. They obeyed God and the angel couldn't touch them. That is amazing. And when you consider what God did to that tyranny and how He did it, it really makes these fools like Joe Biden and the cadre of communists that want to boss us around and mock us, it makes them seem so unimportant, so insignificant. These fools are not Pharaoh of old. They're not Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, or Alexander the Great, or Julius Caesar. No way. 
We read the Bible, they can't enslave us. You know, there's a day coming, it tells us in the prophets, when God's going to do something even more incredible than the Exodus. Israel still talks about the Exodus. But the day's coming when they're not going to anymore say, Our God who brought us up out of Egypt. They're going to say, Our God who gathered us from all the nations and defeated the armies gathered against us. Our God who is king over all the earth. I'm looking forward to that day. Considering God's, the exodus from Egypt forced me to consider what's coming. What's coming. If we're a Bible reading people, friends, even them old stories we heard as kids, the exodus, constantly reminding ourselves we, they can't enslave us. That's the lesson for us. And when I think about Revelation, I'm getting back to what I said about the red letters. This is what really, really amazes me. Those that talk about the red letters completely ignore two whole chapters of red letters that are found right here. In fact, they ignore an entire book. Did you know that two entire chapters of this book of Revelation are the red letters, the words of Jesus Christ straight from His mouth, not to Jews about the kingdom but to the churches, he that hath an ear, Jesus speaks, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Did you know that Revelation, if we're a Bible reading people and we don't want to be enslaved, we should consider that Revelation is one of the books of the Bible in which there is a promised blessing, a special blessing promised to those, not that just read it, but that understand it and keep it. Just like the commandments. Paul said that to honor your parents is the one commandment with promise. If you honor your parents, you'll live land and long in the land God sends you. That's, it's a commandment with promise. Revelation is a book with promise. Blessed is he that readeth and that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. There's a promise blessing for those who keep and read it and understand it. That means it has to be understood. God wouldn't offer us a blessing to understand something we can't understand. It's clear. And yet pastors and preachers avoid it like it has the plague. How many of us are familiar with Jesus' words to His church living in the last days in Revelation 2 and 3? How many of us know or can remember without going back to our notes what Jesus said to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and the Laodiceans? Can we remember? He's speaking to us. I've had a lot of time to think and meditate as I walk. One of the things I'm trying to get back to doing is memorizing large portions of Scripture. I used to do that when I rode a bicycle. I could probably still fire off 2 Timothy, the entire epistle, if I thought about it. I might get a few words wrong. But I started out in Hebrews 11. I told the Lord I wanted to memorize it, and I did. And then I had to memorize the first few verses of chapter 12. Consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners when you're weary in your own minds. Because you haven't yet resisted unto blood. So if you want to get motivated, think about what Christ did and how He suffered. So you kind of have to memorize part of Hebrews 12. But I did, and it's been a blessing to say those words over and over and over and over again. 
But then in studying some of these messages and looking back on some things that have been preached before, the Lord burned my heart. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to memorize some red letters. Not the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you need to memorize what I'm saying to you right now in these days you're living in. So, I've been working on memorizing all seven letters to the seven churches. And boy, do they take on a more powerful meaning today in the mess we're living in, even even more so than they did when I preached through those letters years ago when we started this study. How important... Guys, if we're not reading and studying exactly what Jesus is saying to us, the church, right now in the last days, we are not a Bible-reading people. If all you do is read the Sermon on the Mount and a few little feel-good stories, and you reject the prophets, and you reject Revelation, and you reject the letters to the Laodiceans, and the people in Sardis and Philadelphia. You're not a Bible reading people. And therefore you're mentally and socially enslaved. We can't be any longer enslaved. The answer is not guns. The answer is not revolution. Even the ones calling for it can't be trusted. They're reactionary. The conservatives and the alt-right, at best they're no better than Joab. The reactionary revolutionary in the Old Testament. We need to be a Bible-reading people. You don't want them to enslave us. Be a Bible-reading people and stop complying. Stop complying. You know, there was a time when the tyrant was the problem. The problem now are those that comply with the tyrant. If you comply, you're the tyrant. You're the problem. I'm not going to comply because I'm a Bible-reading people. And if we're a Bible-reading people, we will recognize the spirit of Antichrist And we won't have anything to do with it. Guys, I've never stood up here and told you that the mask or the shot is the mark of the beast. I've never told you that. It's not. Where's the Antichrist? It's not the mark of the beast. There is no Antichrist. Where is he? He hasn't arisen. But I do believe all of this is part and parcel of the program. I do believe it's the spirit of Antichrist. Roll testing. Satan's always got to test things. Satan's always got to try to force things to happen. That's why you have so many types of Antichrist arise over the years. That's why you had Hitler arise. Satan's trying to force it, but it's never going to happen until it's God's time. So he's constantly doing that. If we're Bible reading people, we can recognize and we won't aid and abet the Antichrist. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm saved. My salvation is secure, but I don't want to knowingly aid and abet evil because I'm quiet or because I just obey or because I just believe. Jesus tells us very simply what sane people, what, when sane people should go to the doctor. Jesus said, they that are whole don't need a doctor, but they that are sick. If we were Bible reading people and believed the Lord Jesus, we wouldn't be running to the doctor when we're healthy because we're scared to death we might have something and we've got to get tested a thousand times. We'd go to the doctor when we were sick. But this Antichrist government is telling us we're sick when we're healthy and we need to lock ourselves down when we're healthy. And that's why all this stuff's running rampant over people that have locked themselves down. 
Guys, I, I finally got it. Do you know what? I think I finally got it. Never got tested, but all the classic symptoms where I felt bad. I was laying in the bed for a, a, a while. Two weeks, had to shut down what I was doing in my life and stop walking. But let me make something abundantly clear. For the last year and a half, like many of you, I lived free. I traveled more than 50,000. It's amazing to me. I already need another set of tires on my vehicle. We had, you know, it cost me over $1,000 to put good tires on my vehicle about a year and a half ago. And I had them rotated the other day, and man, I couldn't believe the measurements. Oh, my goodness. I can't, I, I'm already needing a new set of Michelin tires? Well, then I got to looking at the old receipt and how many miles were on my car when I got them. Yeah, it was a year and a half ago. 39,000 miles on my ministry vehicle. And I went out there and looked at the odometer. It says 89,000. Now I put 50,000 miles on my vehicle since COVID started. We've walked more than 1,000 miles. We've lived free. I didn't believe the hype. I didn't believe the fear. I didn't run out and get a shot. I never wore a mask. And I got sick. So what? I don't regret a single, single, single ounce of regret. Not a single ounce. It's better to be sick and die in your bed than to be enslaved. It's all so wrong. It's all so backwards. And that spirit is all over our churches. My pastor friend attended a Baptist associational meeting recently. I won't go into the detail, but you know, the good old conservative churches. You know, we, t- we talk about the good Baptist churches that are still back in these hills and hollows. That's, what, that's the churches that were represented there. The good old boys. The good ones. That don't, they don't vote Democrat. The good old boys. They came together. And my friend tried to talk about the importance in these days of tyranny, of missions and evangelism and getting out and sharing the gospel in the streets. And you know what all those boys want to talk about? All of them, almost all of them come in there with a face diaper on They wouldn't shake hands or extend the right hand of fellowship like the early Christians did. They were bumping elbows and all that foolishness. And they sat around talking about how they couldn't believe they still had church members that wouldn't get the vaccine. How dare these people? And I'm dealing with deacons that are so mad they're they're threatening not to come back to church because there's unvaccinated church members. That's what they talked about and ignored everything he said about the gospel and evangelism. In fact, one of the first things one of them said after my friend finished speaking was, I just want to share with you guys today, Lord put a burden on my heart for those that have lost their homes in the flood. Oh, you know one of those burdens that that old Baptist preacher likes to announce, but the chances of him ever lifting a finger to do something about it, far, far. Those are our country Republican Trump-loving Christians in America today, friends. That's what they sit around and talk about. They're the problem. Because they're not a Bible-reading people. Are we going to be a Bible-reading people or not? Now, I've not been in Revelation for a few weeks, but man, we've got to ask ourselves, are we going to be a Bible-believing people, a Bible-reading people? If we are, they can't enslave us. You know, I've just been thinking about this as I prepare for this message, as I've been camped out in the red letters of Revelation 2 and 3. I encourage you to study those chapters. They are written to us now. 
recognize what Jesus is saying is the problem and let's do what he said. I so appreciated what my dad had to say when we had that anniversary service about those words to the church at Philadelphia and how Jesus said to all those churches, I know thy works. Because I've been, I just memorized that. I know thy works. We need to dive into that and know what he says so that we can protect ourselves, so that we can share these things with others that we love and care about so they won't be enslaved. That's the key to fixing this country. It does not lie with Trump 2024. Do not be so foolish as to fall in that trap. It's funny how people who talk about the red letters are completely unfamiliar with this book. They don't want to touch it. Even some godly reformed preachers I know, people that go out and share the gospel, won't touch Revelation with a 10-foot pole. They think it can't be understood. They want to explain it all the way it's fulfilled in history and are completely ignorant of the red letters of chapter 2 and 3. That is shameful. Sad thing is, Many Christians are not only ignorant of the judgments in Revelation, they're ignorant of the promises. They're ignorant of the detailed promises of our future. And therefore, they're not able to be like the heroes of the faith and confess themselves strangers and pilgrims of this earth. They're not able to be like those who didn't accept deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They cower in fear. Guys, this book is more relevant today than it ever has been in church history. Today, we got to get in it. And it ain't good enough to just hear a sermon preached. You'd think that I preached all these messages. I got in all this detail. I posted all these podcasts. You'd think I'd remember and have all that stuff on the tip of my tongue. No. I go back and listen and I'm kind of surprised at how things that were preached two years ago really convict me. My own preaching convicts me. Even more so now. We've got to be a Bible reading people. And we can't be afraid of the book of Revelation. We can't be afraid of chapters 2 and 3 in the message. We are the Laodiceans. Don't get it wrong. Don't get me wrong. I mean, don't misunderstand. We think we are rich and in need of nothing. But we're really wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. That's the church today. Because we stopped reading our Bibles. We stopped believing our Bibles. That's my introduction. I told the Lord, don't let me get off topic today, please. I don't think I did. Revelation 21, we got through verse 8. And I want to look today at verse 9. I want to look today at verse 9. Particularly the lesson we can learn from it if we are a Bible reading people that reads more than one verse cherry picked. If we remember what's been said before when we see what is said today. In Revelation 9 through 27 and then on into chapter 22 we have a detailed explanation of something that's already been declared. It's declared, it's been declared that the bride, the new Jerusalem, is descending from God out of heaven. 
And now we get a detailed explanation where the scriptures pause in the narrative, step back and explain in detail. It's exactly what happens in Genesis. The creation account is given in Genesis chapter 1. And then there's a pause and we're given a detailed explanation of particularly the creation of man and his placing in the garden. It's very, very common for God to declare truth and then to explain it to His people. We need to let Him explain it and not some hot-aired seminary professor who thinks he knows everything. Who, or some preacher out there is not talking about the gospel but is telling everybody in his church they better get the vaccine. If that's what you're preaching today... And you're not preaching Jesus and His shed blood and His coming again, then you, my friend, are in big, big trouble with God. You're in big trouble. You better repent, just like the churches. Repent. Jesus told the church at Pergamos, He told the remnant, the faithful ones, repent, or else I will come unto you quickly and fight against them. Not against you, but against them in your midst. You either repent of tolerating this madness or I'm going to come in and I'm going to fight against these wicked false teachers leading your churches. And it won't be pretty. <clears throat> Let's review chapter 21 a bit. First two verses, John sees two things. He sees the new heavens and the new earth. So we're after the millennial reign. After God has fulfilled all His promises through the Messiah for this earth, for Israel and the church, and then, bam, new heaven, new earth. The church, Israel, the new Jerusalem, the word of God, it all transcends into the new heaven and the new earth. The ages to come that Paul speaks about. And John sees no more sea. We talked about how that's not the Atlantic or the Pacific. That's the firmament. We talked a little bit about biblical cosmology that runs amok. I mean, modern cosmology runs amok of the Bible. If we're a Bible reading people, we won't believe all this garbage. It's funny how there was all this talk back when they needed something to distract us. About three different countries had rovers scanning the surface of Mars. Ain't nobody talking about that anymore. Are they still out there? Did they make it home? Well, they aren't talking about it because they don't need it to distract us. It's all a lie. I'm almost done reading the entire Bible in Spanish. I've been doing a chapter a day. I don't do it every day, but I'm in Zechariah chapter 12 I read this morning. I've already read the New Testament. So I've just got five or six days and I will have read the whole Bible in Spanish. I'm excited. But it's funny, I was reading Zechariah 12 and there in the beginning I saw something I've never seen or appreciated before. It said God does three things. He stretched out the heavens. The word, the verb there in Hebrew is like a tent. He stretched them out over the foundation of the earth. And then he formed the spirit of man within him. Those are the three things God does. His creative power. And that's the God the prophet is preaching. The one who stretched out the heavens like a tent over the foundation of the earth. And then he formed the spirit of man within him. You believe it? I do. Are you willing to... Admit you've been lied to by a lot of things. I, I, I'm willing to admit George Bush lied to me and that I fell for it. I'm willing to admit it. 
Let me tell you something. God forms the spirit of a man within him at the moment of conception. God forms it. So it's all fine and dandy that the state of Texas wants to allow people. They don't want to outlaw it because they're a bunch of cowards. Call themselves Republicans. But they want to allow people to pursue civil charges against doctors that perform abortions when a heartbeat is detected. Well, God forms the spirit of man within him. From the moment of conception. So every one of those babies being murdered in Texas before a heartbeat is detected, that blood's on the hands of the people of Texas. And it's on the hands of those Republicans who are cowards. What they ought to do is arrest abortion doctors and try them for murder. And if they're found guilty, they should be executed. That's righteousness according to God. Because He forms the spirit of man within Him. We talked about biblical cosmology. If we're Bible reading people, we'll see things a lot different. John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. God's residence, not just His presence. His presence came down, the Shekinah glory between the cherubims on the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. This isn't just His presence. His residence comes down to dwell with men. And then we're going to see that in detail. In the rest of the chapter. Verses 3 through 7, John hears two voices, a megaphone, a great voice from heaven declaring what will be that has never been. God's home is with men. That's a glorious thought. That makes that little fake vaccine mandate from our presence seem like a little gnat buzzing in front of my face. I can flick it away. That voice also declares what won't be, what's always been since the fall. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Won't be here. Praise God. Why are we trying to hold on to this old world of sorrow and pain when we've got one without that coming? Then there's a second voice. God all in all speaks from the throne following what Paul defines as the great abdication. There comes a point after Jesus Christ has put down every single one of His enemies under His feet. The millennium is accomplished. God rains fire from heaven and destroys those last enemies. Then Jesus Christ gives up the crown to the Father and God is all in all. The Alpha and the Omega for all eternity. The ages to come. God all in all speaks and He gives us one final invitation. At the end of the narrative, one final invitation. Come, I will give to Him that is a thirst of the water of life freely. Remember how we talked about that word freely? That was the first word of God ever left out by someone repeating God's word. Eve was told to serve. God said we could eat of all the trees of the garden. No, God said you can freely eat of all the trees in the garden. She left out that all-important word. And isn't it funny how that is the aspect of God's salvation all the way into the present day that is the biggest stumbling block for all people. That God would freely offer us salvation because of what Jesus did if we would repent and believe. Even the vilest of offenders... Even a man like Ted Bundy, the serial rapist and killer, or Jeffrey Dahmer, the one who ate his victims, 
the vilest of offenders, even they could come and drink of the water of life freely. And they did before their demise. And the world hates it. They hate it. They've hated it since the Garden of Eden, since Eve left out that word. <laughs> but it's still free. It's still free. And then we got to verse 8, the terrible disjunctive conjunction. In the midst of all that good news, but God gave us the good news first. Now we get the bad news. But then we have eight classes of people purposed for the lake of fire. We talked about each one in detail. The first in line, the cowards. First in line, you know those Texas abortion law authors? They're the first ones in line. They're not heroes. They're simps and cowards. Those Baptist Association pastors don't care anything about missions or evangelism, but boy, they're mad at people in their church don't want to get a vaccine. Maybe somebody in their church has a health condition and it's going to kill them if they get it. Maybe somebody in their church got natural immunity like I do now and don't need it. But they're worried about it. First in line for hell, they better repent. Unbelieving, they're the next in line. How heinous. After all the revelation God has given us. We can get this book at the dollar store. And yet people who lived in a time when they had to sneak into the churches at night where the Bibles were chained to the pulpit and read had more knowledge of this book than we do now. School-aged children when this country was founded in 1776 knew more about the Bible than we do now. And they didn't have, everyone didn't have a Bible in their home. Then there's the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers. Make no mistake, most of what is called medicine in our country today is sorcery. Sorcery. You'll see it if you're a Bible reading people. Idolaters and all liars. Remember that word for liar? We talked about pseudo the pseudo, the fakes. Everything you see in here is fake. Everything they put out there is fake. It's fake. And we believe it. And they just inherit it. Isn't it funny how our government, they want us to fear things that we shouldn't fear or we needn't fear, but yet they don't want us to fear maybe what we should fear. Look at how they cover stuff up that happens. Things that would scare people and might cause them not to come to certain places where they can get their little money, all their money. There's been some scary things that have happened in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park over the years, be it wildlife attacks or people disappearing or murders or tales of strange wild men living in those woods harassing and killing people. And guess what? There's way too much money coming into those communities there around the park, it's covered up. God forbid the people would think something's wrong and wouldn't come and go for a walk in the woods. So they'll cover all that up. But boy, when they want you to fear a virus with a 99% survival rate, don't want you in church hearing God's Word, they'll scare you to death. So these people are liars. They're liars. They use your fear when it benefits them. They didn't want you to fear AIDS. Oh, no, no, no. God forbid we would know exactly why AIDS was spreading through homosexual abomination. So they want you to be scared to death that you might get it on a water fountain. Or they, oh, it's no big deal. You know, anybody can get it, but you can't get it 
this way. Don't worry, you can't get it by touching. The opposite of everything they've told us about COVID. And yet AIDS mortality rate was far greater. When are we going to wake up and stop believing all these liars? Then we get to verse 9. Man, I can't believe I got the energy I'll do up here today. I'm probably going to take me a hard nap this afternoon. <laughs> One great thing about this sickness, I've slept so good at night. I have slept till 8 o'clock. I haven't been on sleep, sleep till 8 o'clock in years. Ten hours of sleep at night. Praise God. I remember getting surgery as a kid. They put me to sleep. Best sleep of my life. That's one of the things I love about anesthesia. I was in Nepal years later as an adult, and I needed a minor procedure done that could have been done with local anesthetic, and they gave me a choice. Do you want local or do you want full anesthesia? Now, I knew either way it was going to cost me about 60 bucks. I said, give me the full stuff. So I laid down on that bed, and I woke up, and it was all done. It was great. 21 verse 9. So we've got all of this. We've got what John sees. We've got what he hears. We've got the progression of the narrative chronologically. But then we have a pause. Just like we have several times in Revelation. In fact, this verse is very similar in construction to something that happened before in Revelation. In fact, it's almost identical. Something that's happened once with John happens again. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come here or come hither. So one of the angels that had poured out the seven vials or bowls of God's wrath. Remember, when we studied Revelation, this is where a lot of people trip up and get into a lot of trouble trying to figure it out. The Lamb is worthy to open the title deed of the earth, the scroll. He's come to claim what he purchased back at the cross, what Adam handed over to Satan. It's a seven-sealed scroll. The lamb begins to remove the seals. The first seal is Antichrist, who comes on a white horse, a bow no arrows, bringing peace. A man, the Jew, who comes in his own name, as Jesus said, and even the Orthodox Jews will believe he's a Messiah. Where is he? He's not here. That ain't the mark of the beast. The vaccine's not the mark of the beast. I'm not saying you should get it. I'm not going to stand up here and say you should get it or you shouldn't. I ain't getting it, but I'm not a medical doctor. Do whatever you want. It's not the mark of the beast. The whole thing is the spirit of Antichrist. But he ain't, he's not arisen yet. In fact, I would say to you, don't be looking for him on the left side of the aisle. Don't be looking for him there. We know what those wicked people are. He's a deceiver. What Jew alive today is going to believe that a BLM, LGBT, Jew-hating, liberal communist is the Antichrist, the Messiah? No. Don't be looking for him on the left side of the aisle, friends. You need to know your history. Hitler did not seize power like Joe Biden did. Hitler did not cheat to win an election. Hitler was elected by a people who were fed up with the left-wing, communist, immoral, gay-loving debauchery of the German Weimar Republic of the 1920s. They were fed up with it. They were nationalists. 
They were patriots. They elected him from the right side of the aisle. And he appealed to their nationalism. And look how quickly he was the type of antichrist. Not the left-wing Weimar Republic and that old fool. Germany had an old fool of a president, an old dementia-laden fool, just like we do today. That was chancellor before Hitler was elected. Go study your history. I wouldn't be looking for him on the left side. Be careful with all this Trump 2024. Trump ain't the Antichrist either. Not smart enough. He doesn't know how to watch what he says. Antichrist will, mark my words. And I believe it's all going to come out of the reaction that is coming for all of this mess. These people won't get away with it. History tells us. The reaction of fed up, decent people is often far worse. Many of these people are going to pay for what they've done with their lives. But be careful. We've can't be, you know, praise God that Trump's going to sound, but that spirit's alive and well. It's alive and well, but we better be careful that we're not deceived. Here, John, the narrative stops. Come here. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. This exact same thing happened one other time in Revelation where the narrative's moving along. We have the seven... And, and I'll get, I got off topic. You have the seven seals. Antichrist is unleashed by Christ on the world. It's God's judgment. Then we get down to the seventh seal. When he opens the seventh seal, the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. That's the seal. And then when the seventh trumpet blows... That is the seven bowls of God's wrath. It's all connected. It's all part of the seal judgment, the seventh one. It's all part of the seventh trumpet. So the seventh vial is poured out. We're at the end of that, at the end of the tribulation. And then a similar thing happens. One of those seven angels comes to John and says, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. Anybody remember where that was? What chapter it was? Same exact language construction we have here. Chapter 17. Same thing. We have a pause in the narrative. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. Come here. I'm going to show you something. I will show show unto thee That word show in the King James, when you see S-H-H-E-W, that is a good word that very strongly captures the meaning of the original language. Guys, when you see S-H-O-W, I'm going to show you my Bible. You're going to look at it. But if I show S-H-E-W, that means I tell you, I present to you, but I also explain it. So S-H-E-W is to tell or show and explain. S-H-A-W is to tell or to show. So he says, I'm going to explain to you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So we have one of these seven angels saying to John, come here, let me show you something. And then he shows him or explains to him in great detail the judgment of the great whore. 
So again, now, we have John. One of these angels steps out of the narrative and says, Come hither. I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. To me, that's an interesting contrast. Come here a minute, John. Let me show you something. First, the angel, one of those angels, shows him the great whore. Doesn't say harlot. Be careful with some of these modern Bibles that say harlot. Understand there's a grave difference between a harlot and a whore. Rahab was a harlot. She believed God and didn't perish with the people of Jericho. A harlot does what she does out of necessity and poverty. Doesn't make it right, but that's what fuels her, feeding her family. Earning a living doesn't make it right. It's not. A whore is different. Oh, a whore will get paid for it and likes to, but she's fueled by her lust, not by her need. What John sees in Revelation 17 isn't a harlot. It's a whore that's drunk with the blood of the saints and has committed fornication with the kings of the earth. Not because she had to, because she wanted to. What John sees, Revelation 15 and 16, we have the seven vials, seventh seal equals the seventh trumpet equals the seventh vial. And when that seventh vial is poured out, there's a great earthquake. And we're told something. All the cities of the nations fell down. All the cities of the nations. Not Jerusalem. It was divided into a few parts. But it's the only one even left partially standing. All the nations of the city fell. Oh, glorious thought. Cities are such evil, wicked places. Guys, Washington, D.C., if it's still standing, will fall. Hallelujah, praise God. And then you know what happens? You know what that seventh seal is? It's a literal stoning from heaven. God stones men for their blasphemy. You know, we talk about the Old Testament law. We don't want to get into it. We don't want to look at it. We want to act as if it's not there because we're not a Bible reading people. We, we don't even want to talk about what God says should be done in a nation to deal with sin. We don't want to deal with what the Old Testament says about stoning homosexuals and adulterers. Oh, and that's just so bad. We're not on, you know, under the law or whatever. Even though the Bible says that that law was given to Israel so the rest of the nations could know how to govern society and keep it from falling apart like it is now. And man says all of this stuff and everything, but there's coming a day when God's actually going to stone men for blasphemy. Read it. A stoning from heaven. Hailstones weigh a talent. Some say that's 10 pounds. Some say it's 100 pounds. It doesn't matter to me. I don't want to get... You know, getting hit with a 10-pound bowling ball ain't going to feel good. There's a veritable rain of bowling balls coming from heaven mingled with fire. That's the seventh vial. And that's what's awaiting those who aren't right with God. And if you think you're going to get right with God once the rapture happens and once Antichrist arises and okay, now it's true, I'll get right with God. No, no, no. God's going to do... To those who heard the gospel and rejected it, exactly what he's done to this country today, he's going to send a strong delusion so you'll believe a lie. That's the warning there in 2 Thessalonians. Get right now. You don't have to worry about this. 
But we're told there that great Babylon came into remembrance before God. Then, chapter 17, the angel steps out and gives John a detailed explanation of what that declaration means. There's a pause in the chronology. Come here a minute. Let me show you something. Let me show you the judgment of the great whore, the world system, its religious element, the fake church, and its commercial element. Chapter 18. Come here, John. Let me show you the fake church, the whore, and her judgment. And we're told that John wondered at what he saw. He was shocked. God sees the professing church as a whore who's drunk with the blood of saints. John's shocked. What he sees is a whore riding a scarlet beast, driving him, controlling him, We talked about this in the past. That beast is one color, scarlet. It is the Antichrist in puppy form. It's the Antichrist as a puppy. Chapter 13, he's full-blown, multicolored Antichrist. But it's the whore that's riding the little puppy. That little puppy's got ten horns, just like the Antichrist of chapter 13. Just like a lot of baby animals, he's one color, and then when he gets full grown, he's multicolored. But who's riding him? Who's driving him? It's the whore, the fake church. And then we see those ten horns turn on the whore and destroy her. Those that help Antichrist come to power by telling their church members, go out and get the mark, go out and get the mark. He turns on her and destroys her. The Antichrist uses the fake church to come to power, then disposes of her. So many times this has happened in church history. We needn't go back very far. Go back to Romania. Famous book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wormbrand. Look at what he writes about how the spirit of communism, that spirit of Antichrist that killed and persecuted so many people in Romania, with leadership just like we have today, how in the beginning it was the churches, the pastors who were afraid, that were encouraging their people to submit to the communists. They only they care about us. It's for our health. And then it wasn't many years later, these same pastors were mocking the Richard Wormbrands and the other faithful preachers who were warning about the judgment of God. And it wasn't that many years later that Mr. Wormbrand sat in prison cells with the very preachers who helped those communists come to power because the communists turned on them. And yet we see the same thing happening today. These people out here pushing this agenda, thinking they are doing God's work, are aiding and abetting Antichrist. I would even say to you, this may upset you and I'm sorry, I would even say to you, there's things Franklin Graham has said that aid and abet Antichrist, in my opinion. Shame on him. But that's ex- And we find it hard to believe that the fake church will one day usher in Antichrist. We see it ushering in the Spirit today. John was shown this and he was stunned. The fake church 
Catholicism will be a big part of that, the Pope. They'll get their old power back. It'll come back quickly. We talked about all that. Go back, listen to those messages. The imagery here is so profound. It has to involve Roman Catholicism. It has to. But the fake church, those left behind, the ones who think they're doing God's service, who hate people like us, they'll help Antichrist come to power. Then they'll be betrayed. It's the whore, the fake church. But then, now, we get to chapter 21, verse 9. One of the same angels comes and says, Come here a minute, let me show you something else. I'm going to show you the bride, the lamb's wife. This time, it's the bride, not the whore, the virgin bride. This time, it's not the adulterous woman, it's the lamb's wife. It's the true church. The true body of Christ and her eternal home. It's it's inseparable. The true church and her eternal home are inseparable. Just like Abraham's faith and the future city he looked for whose builder and maker is God was inseparable. That's why he was able to live as a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. And we see it in great detail. We're going to get into that great detail. Not a lot because... I'm not going to foolishly stand here and claim I understand every little detail, but it is amazing to consider our future home, the blueprint we're given here. And this detailed blueprint is not necessarily in the new heaven and the new earth. Remember here that the narrative pauses and the angel comes to explain something happening in the background. Just like in the midst of the progression of the great tribulation... John has explained the judgment of the whore that takes place at the midpoint when Antichrist reveals himself, takes the mask off. Joe Biden took his mask off last week, showed that tyrant he is. You know, he's the fake tyrant. I don't, I'm not scared of him, but when Antichrist takes a mask off, boy. So... We're not necessarily in the chronology. In fact, I'll make the argument that the New Jerusalem we see here doesn't show up in the new heaven and the new earth. It is there before that. It's actually our home during the millennial kingdom. There's a Jerusalem, an earthly Jerusalem, and there's also the mountain of the Lord's house, the heavenly Jerusalem. And only certain people are allowed in there. And we see evidence of that right here in chapter 21 because of what's not going to happen there that isn't even going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. So this is one of those things that transcends It's our eternal home. It's the bride. So there's not necessarily chronology going on. This is a parenthesis, just like we've seen. Chapter 7, one of the first ones. Detailed explanation of a former declaration. Declaration about Babylon the Great, the world system. Chapter 14, a detailed explanation in chapter 17. John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Verse 2 of this chapter. Now we're going to get a detailed explanation the rest of this chapter into chapter 22. So why? Revelation, guys, all about context. Context, context, context. We've got to look at the immediate context, then the overall context of Scripture. So when we don't do that, that we fail to understand. Why do we have this contrast here? I find it very interesting how these two verses, 17.1 and 21.9, have almost the exact same construction linguistically. The same command. 
And yet what John sees is the polar opposite. Is there a lesson here? Why is he given the detailed explanation of the whore first and then the bride? What's the lesson here? Maybe it's simple. Maybe we can't fully understand and appreciate the true bride of Christ, our position therein as born-again saints, until we first see the fake whore. You know what I think about? I think about those employed by the Department of the Treasury to root out and investigate counterfeit bills. I met one of these outside the Supreme Court years ago. I went there to preach. There was no one there. I had a sign. I just sat on the steps. He was walking his dog. And talking about how they study counterfeit bills and counterfeit techniques in detail. And then they don't just study the counterfeit. They don't just study the counterfeit. What do you think they spend the most time looking at? The true bills. Because when they know the true one, they can more easily spot the counterfeit. But they can't appreciate the true one until they've seen the counterfeits. It's amazing. I got a counterfeit bill down in Ecuador one time. They do all of their economies, the American dollar, and it's old dollars. And I sat here and God gave me change back and there was a 20 in there that didn't feel like a 20. It looked like it, but I knew it was fake and it was like I was off my game and I should have said something. He went off into the night and I was stuck with a fake $20 bill and I never was able to buy anything with it because nobody, I mean, none of these store owners believed it was 20. So I just came home and kept it. It cost me 20 bucks. But maybe the lesson here. Can we really understand and appreciate the true bride of Christ until we first see the fake whore who confesses him with her mouth and yet in works deny him? Paul said in Titus 1, they confess him with, that they know God with their mouth, but in their hearts, their works, they deny him being abominable. Can we really appreciate the bride of Christ without understanding the fake whore for what she is in her future judgment, we get that revelation first. Were we paying attention? If we weren't, maybe we won't fully appreciate what we see here. Right here and now, in these days, we better be able to recognize the fake whore, the fake church, the Laodicean church, the spirit of Jezebel that was at Thyatira, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans that were at Ephesus and Pergamos. That which said it was living, but it's dead at Sardis. We better be able to recognize that. We better be able to recognize what it means to be lukewarm. I laugh at how so many preachers talk about hot and cold. Hot, you're on fire for God. Cold, you're, you don't care about God. And Jesus rebukes you for being lukewarm. You're better off being cold and not even care about God than to be lukewarm. That's not what that passage is teaching. Hot water was soothing. Cold water was refreshing. Cold's not an indictment. 
Amazing how we foist our culture onto the Bible. But we better understand what these things are. We're not going to recognize the true bride. And we're going to fall for fear and weakness. And we're going to be like that little remnant at Thyatira. Jesus said, I can't give you anything else. You're just going to have to hold on with what you have and hold fast till I come. He couldn't say to them like he said it, Philadelphia, I've given you an open door. Couldn't say that to Thyatira. Maybe we are Thyatira. Maybe the only reason I'm, God has me walking across America is because He can't trust me to do anything else. It's pretty easy to walk. Maybe He can't give me any other thing. Maybe He can't give me or us the burdens that He's given the church in Afghanistan right now or the churches in Pakistan under threat because we babies can't handle it. Because we never took the fake church seriously. We mixed ourselves with it. And now we're weak. So be it. Let's hold fast what we have till he comes. Let's hold fast. Maybe I'm walking across America because God can't trust me with something else. Maybe that's all I can handle. So be it. May I hold fast. Pray I hold fast. Right now in these days, we need to know the whore. So we can appreciate the bride. We need to call her out just like my pastor friend did at that associational meeting. We need to call out the whore and contrast her with the true bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife. Can you spot the whore, my friends? Can we spot it? Can we see it? Or are we too afraid to admit it? When you know how to spot the whore in her judgment, you can more clearly stand firm without fear in the bride of Christ and her ultimate destiny. If we know the difference between the fake and the real, and we stand as the bride of Christ as we should be, not the things Jesus rebukes in those letters to the seven churches, then it will be easy for us to be like those heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Confessing they were strangers and pilgrims. It'll be easy for us to be like those in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives to the death. That will be easy. Guys, for true believers, I really don't believe martyrdom was all that hard for the true believers we read about in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Some of them preached... Until their breath was snuffed out. Polycarp just kept on preaching until the fire consumed him. There was one occasion where a man burning at the stake began to preach, preach the gospel in the flames. And one of the people who had turned in the end came into such conviction he cried out, repented, got saved, and leapt into the fire and died with him. No fear. I believe when that time comes, if we're still alive, God will give us great grace. If we'll be a Bible-reading re- people, if we'll know the difference between the whore and the true bride, and we'll keep our eyes and affections on things above, and on that new Jerusalem, and our future home, and our future king who shed his blood for us, if we'll keep our eyes on that, martyrdom will be easy. I could rush through all this stuff, but Why? Why? There's some details in this verse that deserve our attention. I may not get into it today. That's okay. Let's look at just a couple of details here. It says, 
that one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. This is important. It's important to remember that these same vials, these same bowls of of the seven last plagues in chapter 15 verse 7 are called the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God. Jesus told the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which is to come upon all the earth to dry... to try, uh, try them that dwell on the earth. Did you know that there's actually Bible-believing, solid gospel-preaching preachers out there that would tell you that that is referencing the persecutions of Nero or Diocletian? Just a test God wanted to give the earth. Are you kidding me? Have you ever read the Old Testament? Do you really believe that? You're not a Bible reading people. You may read Ephesians and know it up and down and preach it. Praise God. You may know that God is sovereign. You may know that salvation is of the Lord. Praise God. You may know that God preserves His saints and you can't lose that salvation. You may know that Jesus Christ shed His blood for you and and, and satisfied the wrath of God. You may know those things, praise God. But get out of Ephesians 1 for a change. Get out of the Sermon on the Mount for a change and get in that Bible and be a Bible reading people, not an Ephesians reading people. God didn't say, study Ephesians to show thyself approved unto God. Ephesians is a great book. Memorize it. Memorize it. Study all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. From a child, Timothy knew all the scriptures and they weren't the original manuscripts. And yet, it was given by inspiration of God. God didn't say study Ephesians to be approved. Study the Sermon on the Mount to be improved. approved. Study the scriptures. But these vials are the wrath of God. The hour of temptation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation is not the wrath of wicked men and the devil. It's the wrath of God. We need to remember that. There are people out there today say we're in the tribulation. Are you kidding me? Are you that entitled and comfortable to actually believe that? Guys, there's two promises we need to remember. These are seven vials full of God's wrath. We are not appointed to God's wrath. So 1 Thessalonians 5 9. We're not appointed to that. This is not an event we're appointed to. And we're also justified by His blood. Being justified by His blood, we are saved from wrath. Romans 5 9. This is God's wrath. Don't mistake the wrath of wicked men and the devil that we're not promised from deliverance from right now. We're suffering right now. Don't confuse that with the wrath of God. Revelation is the wrath of God. It's the stoning of God from heaven of blasphemers with a veritable rain of bowling balls. It's the judgment of the great whore. It's the rise of Antichrist to judge Israel and then His overthrow to deliver Israel. It's judgment upon the Gentiles. Tribulation serves two purposes. Nothing to do with the church. Wake up the nation of Israel... Man, look at them and what they're doing in Israel today trying to deal with the COVID. They're so blind and confused. They're more blind and confused today 
than they were under the, in the days of Jeremiah when, when they were carried away captive. Look at what they're doing. Now they're giving them three, four shots and the COVID's just spreading all over Israel and they can't stop it. That is God's judgment on those wicked people who look to America and don't look to their God. Israel needs to quit looking at this wicked nation and look to God and He'll deliver them from their COVID-19. But they can't even do it. They're just as blind as we are. And they will be blind enough to believe someone who comes in His own name, Jesus said. They rejected Jesus. He healed the sick. He cured things far worse than COVID by just somebody touching the hem of His garment. They didn't believe Him, but they'll believe one who comes in His own name. And God will use that to wake them up. One day they're going to wake up. Zechariah 12, what I read in Spanish today. God's going to pour out His Spirit and they will look upon Him whom they have pierced, me who they have pierced. They'll cry for Him. He'll come. He'll rescue them. And then tribulation is also to judge the Gentile nations, judge the United States of the world, the Gentiles. It's not for the believer. We're not appointed to wrath. This is God's wrath. We need to remember that. One of the angels who is a minister of God's wrath doesn't come to John... To execute that wrath upon him, he comes to explain to him why the wrath is being poured on the world and now to show him what's in store for you in the church. Something else. Guys, I can't be a Bible-reading Christian, and I'm talking Genesis to Revelation. I can't in good conscience be a Bible-believing Christian and not believe and preach a pre-trib rapture of the church. I'm sorry, can't do it. Now, there's some of these sent preachers out here, some of them, they mock a pre-trib rapture. They mock people like me. They won't tell me it was all fulfilled in A.D. 70. They don't even know what happened in A.D. 70. They deny it, but I'm going to tell you, they better hope it's true. Based on the way they've acted this last year and a half, during all this COVID madness, they better hope that pre-trib rapture is true. And I hope it's true for their sake. Or they're doomed. They're doomed. Because just like they wore their little masks, and just like they ran out and got their shot without seeking the Lord, they will take the mark. And once you get the mark, there's no hope for you. You are doomed for all eternity. It's an act of worship. It's the name of the beast. It's not the COVID-19 shot. It's on the right hand or the forehead. I ain't seen them give a shot to anybody in the hand or the forehead. I don't see Antichrist. Oh, it's a type. It's preparing the world. We can see now how easily the world will do it. I mean, we we should recognize these things. But the the same people better hope that rapture, that trumpet blows and delivers us from that. Jesus said, if the time wasn't cut short, even the very elect will be deceived. Don't underestimate the power of the Father of lies. We are fools... We can call him out. We can call out the whore. We can say this. But don't underestimate his power to deceive us. He is the father of lies. And if we're not walking in the spirit and girding ourselves with the armor of God, we can fall for the lie. We need that trumpet to blow to get us out of here so we won't be deceived. It's funny. The church at Sardis is the Reformation church. These things have been fulfilled in history. I talked about it. Had a name that it was living and it was dead. The Reformation started out a great, living, powerful thing, but it died a fizzled out death. What did Jesus say? You better watch because I'm going to come on you like a thief. And when I show up, 
you won't be ready. It's funny. Nowadays, it's those that talk a whole lot about the Reformation that deny the rapture. Better watch out. Jesus said he'll come like a thief. Praise God you'll be rescued, but he'll take you by surprise. I don't want to be taken by surprise. That's God's wrath. We're not appointed to God's wrath, guys. Well, let's don't mistake his wrath for the wrath of the wicked man and the devil. We're not promised deliverance from that. We can't blame God for what's going on today. We don't deserve. We deserve what we have, guys. We've not been a Bible-reading people. We deserve it. Let's don't get mad at God. Let's don't be like that dumb Moses in that movie last night that got mad at God about everything, arguing with him. Give me a break. Bible says that God met with Moses face to face. He didn't show up as a little brat boy who threw a temper tantrum. Give me a break. What blasphemy. There's something else that's worth looking at. I'm probably not going to get into it too much, but it's an interesting command here. Come hither. Come here. Let me show you something. That command, that command, those exact two words in English appear several places, not a whole lot of places, but several places in the Scriptures. And I just find it very interesting. I I just find it very interesting because it actually plays into the very things we're talking about today. It actually plays into how do we recognize the whore versus the bride of Christ. I won't get into it. This commandment appears twice or four times in Revelation. Here, come here. Come here, John. Let me show you something. Let me show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Let me show you the bride of Christ. And then he showed John, took him to a great and high mountain, just like the devil took Satan, I mean, the devil took Jesus up to a great and high mountain. And the devil told Jesus to look down on all the kingdoms of the earth. I can give these to you. If the devil didn't have the power authority to do it, it wouldn't have been a temptation. He, he's been given that power and authority and allowed to have it after Adam's betrayal. Christ's going to take that away one day. But this is so different. John isn't told to look down on the earth. He's told to look up. He goes to a high mountain and looks up. Sees the great city, the, whole, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God... And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper, clear as crystal. Come here. Man, if somebody tells me to come here and wants to show me something like that, I'm coming. Usually when somebody in power and authority tells me to do something, I want to do the opposite. That's that rebellious spirit. That's that old southern DNA, that old Confederate DNA in my blood. It's not good, necessarily. But I tell you, if, if, if old Joe wants me to get a shot, the worst thing he can do is tell me I better do it and that he's getting impatient with me. That's the worst thing you can do to old southern boy. I'm not going to do it just because you told me to do it. That's what I love about Israeli culture. <laughs> Their government's got so many rules over there, it's unbelievable. But when I go to Israel, it's funny. When I see a no parking sign, there's people parked there. When I see no swimming, they're swimming. Don't tell an Israeli not do something. But if you're going to tell me, come here, I'm going to come if I can see the glory of God coming from heaven. 17.1, come here, let me show you the great whore and her judgment. God tells me to come here. One of His angels says, come here. You better believe I'm going to do it. Not when somebody who thinks they're God says it. But we also see this two other times, and it kind of 
relates to what we're talking about, then my Bible's coming apart up here. I must be using it. I must be a Bible reading person because my Bible's falling apart. Revelation 4.1. Those messages to the seven churches, the things which are the church age. Revelation 2 and 3, the red letters. And then what happens immediately after that? After this, John says, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither. Come up hither and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. So here we have John told, come up. The door opens in heaven. He's standing on earth and he's raptured up to heaven and he ends up in the throne room of God. The Lamb who is worthy to open the scroll does so in the presence of the church. The church is there in heaven. Those that praise the Lamb for thou hast redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, and creature or nation. So here we have John raptured at the precise point in the book when the church age ends, before we get into the tribulation. That's interesting. And what did it look like? A door opened in heaven and a voice like a trumpet said, come up here. That just gives me chills. Because when I read about the rapture in the Scriptures, that's exactly what happens. There's a trumpet and the voice of God. Come here. And we're there. Man. I've thought many times walking down these old highways and byways, if I do get back out there in Madison County this week, I won't care if, he, if, if, if that voice says, come here, and that old cross just falls in the road, and it's left there. Maybe my clothes will be folded up and just left there on top of my shoes. Just like Jesus' burial garments were, were neatly laid, and the head napkin was folded. Maybe that's what it'll look like. Maybe our clothes will just be neatly folded because God's a God of order and we'll be nowhere to be found. Come up here. I like that come hither. I like it. I'm really going to love it when, it when I hear it from heaven. Could be any day now. Oh, God delivers from this madness. We also hear it somewhere else. See it somewhere else. Revelation 11. When God tells His servants, come here. It's a good thing. We need to be listening to it. God told Moses, come here. Come up on this mountain. And He did. That dumb old movie showed Moses with a little stone tool right in the Ten Commandments. And that old stupid little boy that's supposed to represent God's like, do you not agree with these things? If you don't agree, speak up. But if you agree, you just keep using the hammer. Moses is just kind of keeps hammering. <laughs> that ain't the way it went down. It says, God, the finger of God wrote that down. Guys, when God says, come here, that's a good thing. That's what I'm listening for. I want to hear Jesus say, come here. I don't want to be listening to that old fool Joe Biden. I don't want to listen to those idiots on TV. I don't even want to hear Trump give a speech. I want to hear Jesus say, come here. God does it somewhere else in Revelation. And boy, does it make some wicked people look foolish. 
I like reading about this because one day all these people that think they know so much, (laughs) they're going to look like fools. The ones that hate us, the ones that hate a street preacher like those people in New York that keep harassing that brother that goes out there to preach and he's been in jail and he's under parole because he's preached the gospel. One of these days those wicked cops are going to look real stupid. Revelation 11, verse 12. There's a great voice from heaven that says, Come up hither. Anybody know who it's talking to? Is it talking to two megachurch pastors? Is it talking to two Bible scholars? Is it talking to two charity bigwigs, two Franklin Grahams? Talking to them? No. Who's it talking to? Probably the most hated type of preacher in all the church. Two street preachers. My two witnesses. The two olive trees. The two candlesticks that have replaced the seven candlesticks of the church. God's two witnesses. Moses and Elijah, the very ones that Israel claims to know so much about, will show up on this earth and they won't recognize them. I talked about all that. Good messages. Go back and listen to them. Two street preachers. God's two witnesses in the tribulation aren't scholars, professors, or megachurch pastors. They are street preachers. And guess what God gives, commands them to do and gives them power to do? Defend themselves until their work's done. They try to kill them, but God empowers them to kill those that try to kill them. Self-defense approved by God. Don't tell me God doesn't approve of self-defense. He approves of it for three and a half years with two street preachers until their work's done. And when their work's done, Antichrist slays them. Their bodies lie in the streets for three days and the whole world on its little smartphones watches it and guess what they do they rejoice and they give gifts to each other it's Christmas time but then suddenly there's a voice from heaven come up here and what happens they got up on their feet they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them oh boy A lot of people are going to look real stupid on that day. You know what that come hither reminds me of? And and I'm going to end with this. I I want to get in some other places in Scripture because it's pretty interesting to hear that command given. But let's just stop with these four times in Revelation. Here we have in Revelation 11, 12. Remember, God uses the foolish things of this world that are despising to the world to confound the wise and to do a mighty work. He doesn't use mega church pastors and big wigs and priests and government advisors and presidents. He uses prophets that eat wild honey and locusts and are clothed in a girdle of camel's hair. He uses an old prophet that's fed by the ravens and drinks water from a brook. He uses a man that flees Pharaoh, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the uh, pleasures of sins for a season. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Our churches fear the wrath of a demented old man and a clown of a governor in North Carolina. But God's man didn't fear the wrath of the king. Man who said, God, I can't speak. I don't have the gift of speaking. I can't do this before Pharaoh. God said, okay, I'll give you Aaron. He'll speak for you. Then Moses goes down to Egypt. Guess what? Aaron never says anything. Moses does all the talking. That's who God uses. God uses a shepherd boy. The youngest 
That's another place Samuel said it to Jesse. Is this all? Is this all your son? Oh, no, we got to that old shepherd boy. He's looking after the sheep. Go tell him, come hither. What does Samuel do? He anoints him. That's what God uses. He uses street preachers, the despise of the world. Those that hate us. Guys, when they hate us and when they mock us and when they tell us we're not towing the line and we're not loving our neighbor, don't fall for those lies. That's an old trick of the devil. God has two things to say to us today. The bride of Christ. In view of the whore and in view of our present enslavement because we're not a Bible reading people, this is what he has to say. Isaiah 66, 5. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. A Bible-believing people, a Bible-reading people, trembles at the word of God. Why do I preach this hard? Because I tremble before God's word. This is what God has to say to you who tremble at His word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for My name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified. They don't love their neighbor. They're fundamentalists. Those that cast you out for my namesake said, Let the Lord be glorified, but He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Remember that promise, guys. Tremble at His word. They'll be ashamed one day. Those that are pushing this spirit of the age that call themselves preachers, these old preachers with the big old diaper on their face, oh, God, a burden for them that have lost their homes. They'll be ashamed. They mocked and laughed at my pastor friend for the things he said. One day, God will appear to his joy and they will be ashamed. Amen. Revelation 3, 8 and 9. Let's end with these red letters here. Something my dad brought up. Philadelphia is the remnant church. There's an interesting change that happens after Pergamos. No longer is Jesus addressing an entire church. He's addressing remnants within a fake church. Go back and listen to those messages. Look how the construction changes. Look how in the first... I find it interesting in the very first three messages when He's addressing the whole church as a whole when it's not been overrun... By all these things, we have, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And then we're told what lies in store for the church that overcomes. But then that all changes with Thyatira. It's no longer have an ear and hear first, and then him that overcometh. It's the church is rebuked. He that overcomes, this is what awaits you. And then the last thing Jesus said, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says on the churches. It's not the whole church anymore, it's the remnant. And Philadelphia is the remnant church amidst the apostate churches. The others are addressing the remnant believers caught up in the apostasy. But to the Philadelphia church, the remnant body, the bride of Christ in her purity, this is what He says in 3 verses 8 and 9. I know thy works. And Jesus is saying this to us today. These are Jesus' words to you, church, today, to me. In this time we're living in, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Guys, we have an open door to preach the truth in a way we wouldn't have if we didn't have this whole fool for a president or this tyranny 
for this COVID. And no man can shut it. God's given me an open door. Christ gave me an open door to walk across America. Ain't no man going to shut it. Just like wasn't any man going to kill those street preachers until their work was done. And my work's done, I'm happy to hear that boy say, come here. For thou hast a little strength. Guys, I don't know about you. I've just got a little strength. I ain't got much anymore. And has kept my word and has not denied my name. Let that be us. Behold, here's what God's going to do for those despised by the fake church. Here's what He's going to do for His real bride. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. That's a powerful promise. Man, when, when those two street, street preachers got up and that voice said, come up here and their bodies raised up, I'm sure I, I'd love to see the look on the faces of people staring at their iPhones that were just giving away gifts. Their enemies beheld them. One day our enemies will behold Oh, glorious day. For we, washed in the blood of the Lamb, purchased by God through Messiah, we are the bride. We are the wife of Christ. Let us keep ourselves without spot and blemish. Let's not be adulterous like Israel. Let's not be like the whore with the fancy hair and all the makeup and the gold and the jewels and the cup drunk with the blood of saints. Let's be like the bride. And we're going to see the bride in detail. The bride is inseparable from the city. (laughs) Interesting. Our future home. But next week, I'm going to preach two weeks. Um, I want to talk about some other places in Scripture where we hear come hither, particularly in the Old Testament, There's a very interesting example of this in the life of David, not David, but dealing with some of his servants that ought to shed light on us about why we should be careful of the MAGA crowd. Be careful. There's a woman that says, come here and let me talk some sense into you. And to, to one of these crazy alt-right conservatives trying to take matters in his own hands. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe we need somebody to say, come here, let me talk some sense into you. And then I want to get into why we see this here at this spot. What, ought to, what it ought to do for us when we read about this city, what should it do for us in our hearts? There's another place in Scripture where God gives a detailed blueprint to His people of a future city and a future country and a future temple. It's not the same city. And then God tells the prophet why he's giving them that vision. Maybe that's the same reason why God's given us this today. And then we'll look very briefly at some of the details there. I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, guys. I think we're going to get to the end of Revelation. I, I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. Thanks for letting me preach this morning. I'm sorry I've gone a little long. I haven't gone as long as Matthew did, though. Praise God. Um, But I don't mind going long when it was good preaching and his was good preaching. I don't know about mine. So, you know, I won't, I don't know. I hope it was. I don't see anybody asleep. But let's pray, guys. We'll have a meal together. Lord God, we pause to worship you.
to acknowledge you, Lord. You are the one who spread out the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and you're the one that forms the spirit of man within him. We thank you for that. You are our creator. And that uh, you knew us before we were even born. And Father, that you have ordained us to salvation from the foundation of the world and you accomplish your purposes. You even raise up wicked men and fatten them for the slaughter that you might show your power and mercy and grace to others just like you did Pharaoh of old and just like you're going to do with Antichrist and that we pray you're doing now. Lord, I think about that old hymn we sung this morning, Revive Us Again. Lord, that was written in 1863 in the midst of a terrible, bloody civil war. But it was also a time when most people don't know about this because the history books covered up. It was also a time that you did that. You did revive people. There were amazing revivals in the Confederate Union camps and you brought people back to you. Lord, we pray that you would revive us again and then do it just like you did. Now bring spiritual awakening to this country, God. Repentance. Prepare your bride for her wedding, Lord. I don't want to show up on that day in soiled garments, the garments of an adulteress. I want to be chaste and ready to meet my Messiah, Lord. Prepare your bride through these trials. Help us to stand firm, to be a Bible-reading people so that we will never be mentally and socially enslaved, but we'll just be servants of the Most High. You know, I think about Nebuchadnezzar, Lord. There's a time in the Old Testament where he said, Come here. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come here. And they stepped out of that fire. And you couldn't even smell the smoke on their garments. Nebuchadnezzar took a little time, but he humbled himself and got right. We pray that for people in America today. Help us to stand firm, to not comply, to be a Bible-reading people. Lord, waiting to hear what John heard there in chapter 21. Come here. What John heard in chapter 4 when he saw a door open in heaven. Come up here. And he went up. Help us to listen for that this week, Lord. Thank you for these believers. Thank you that I have the freedom to preach these things and not be run out of a church building, Lord. That's a blessing. Thank you for the other brothers, our leadership here who's not ashamed. For those that have eyes to see the spirit of the age, and hold, we can hold each other accountable. So Lord, bless the food we're about to eat. Please heal any sickness that remains in our midst, particularly those who aren't here today. And help us to go forward and serve you this week. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.